yeah, welcome to the second conversation about clean language with uh, Wendy Sullivan and Paul Field. In the first conversation, we talked about clean language more in depth. We're going to give a short introduction in a second, but we had quite a long time talking about what is clean language, what does it do, etc. And then we gave overviews over kind of some developments that Wendy and Paul have made about somatic or more somatic clean language and how to use it with somatic phenomena and also persona modeling, which is kind of their take on parts work, as I would call it in my language. And today we're going to have a more in-depth uh, conversation about persona modeling and parts work. So welcome you two. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to this. The last conversation was very fun. So I, I, I expect something similar here. And um, yeah, welcome. And shall we just dive in with a very short two to three minute version of, so what are we talking about here today? What is clean language again? Excellent. Thank you. Shall I uh, say a word or two? You're Paul? the expert on this one, Wendy. So uh, clean language, um, just so you've got the, the basics, if um, this is the first time you're hearing about it, um, is a way of working that was developed by a counseling psychologist called David Grove around the 1980s, 1990s. And um, he was working with people who'd suffered um, um, abuse in childhood, um, people who were um, Vietnam vets who were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, that sort of thing. And he found that if he just asked questions about metaphors that they offered, either for the problems they were experiencing or for the outcome that they wanted, that that seemed to free people up to get on and heal. Um, and David uh, was nothing if not extreme. So as soon as he discovered that sticking to the client's metaphors helped the client, uh, he then started trying to take his own assumptions out of his questions. So sticking, aiming to stick just to very basic questions, very universally used questions, along with the client's words and the client's metaphors. Um, and so he stripped out his assumptions, he stripped out his judgments, stripped out his own metaphors. Um, and by doing that, he cleaned up his questions, hence clean language. Um, and with this little bunch of questions, about 12 of them, um, one can uh, facilitate a client or, in fact, carry out um, many kinds of interviewing. Um, in, in a way that gets to the truth of the client, makes the, the facilitator kind of invisible um, and um, focuses the client on their own stuff um, so that they can get deeper and further and understand more about what's going on for them. Um, and so it is, of course, a, a good way to um, coach people or for psychotherapy, for interviewing, and um, for many other applications, um, lots is being developed in the field, exciting stuff. So um, just tell you one or two of the most common clean questions. One of them is, and what kind of X is that X? So if the client has said, um, um, uh, I've got butterflies in my tummy, um, you can say to them, and what kind of butterflies are those butterflies? 
So you just, for the X, you put in a client word or phrase. <clears throat> but the most used clean question is, um, and is there anything else about X? You can see, you can use that absolutely any time. So really handy to get the person focusing more on what they're considering at the time. So you can say, and is there anything else about those butterflies? And so on. Um, <clears throat> so that's um, a very short version of clean language. It's got actual clean questions that you can use, but it's also a whole attitude of keeping your assumptions to yourself. Same with any judgments, just going by what's true for the client in every way you possibly can, because that frees them up to feel safe and um, heard so that they do their very best processing, all of which, of course, is useful for making changes if that's what they want. So can I come in there for a second yes, to maybe make it a tiny bit more uh, practical? So, yeah. so when I take your example of butterflies in my stomach, so maybe one, one place where that could happen would be a client comes and they have a challenge. And as we explore the challenge, uh, they, ex they explain whenever I'm sitting in that meeting, I just get these butterflies in my stomach. And rather than for instance, asking all sorts of questions that could also be relevant and that could also be beneficially used to ask, oh, and what causes these but the, this, this butterfly? Oh, you're getting nervous, which would be me turning the butterflies in my stomach into nervousness uh, rather than asking, oh, and what could you do to, to change that? Um, the clean approach would be, oh, butterflies in my stomach. That's a symbol, a metaphor that they are using. And the assumption would be, I don't actually know what that, what that metaphor means exactly. And actually, I have a trust that that metaphor has its own intelligence. So as I, as we, as I help the client to potentially explore that, something could uh, unfold that is way beyond anything that I can imagine now. So the clean approach would then be, okay, butterflies in your stomach. And what kind of butterflies are those? Or it would be, is there anything else about butterflies in your stomach? So I pick up the metaphor. I don't change it. I don't do anything to it. But I just ask a clean question about it. Entirely. It's, it's like sort of shining a light on it so that the client can consider it more. And we found from a piece of paid research we did a long time ago now that without a single word about anyone changing anything, this was about work-life balance, we just explored how, how it was for each person when they had good work-life balance and when they had not good work-life balance. So two metaphors. We just explored the metaphors, what kind of anything else about them, those sorts of questions. No one said you should go and make any changes to your work-life balance at mm -hmm. all. But almost every one of the um, subjects of that research subsequently of their own bat um, reported having made changes or intending to make changes. So there's something about just getting clearer about your own stuff that kind of organically sets things in place mm. for change to happen. So in this if change in this, is needed. Yeah. So in this example of of work life balance, there would be an as they talk about a good example of work life balance, they might describe it as. Uh, 
a scale. Friday night switch. A, a, a Friday night switch. Friday night switch, you know, like a light switch. And then and as, we exp as we explore that and help them and discover more about that Friday night switch, what kind of switch is that? Where is that switch? Anything else about that Friday night switch? They can learn more about it. And then there's also a, a picture, a metaphor for a bad work-life balance, which would maybe be Uh, being caught in the rat in the in the in the rat race, whatever that is, and it would be the same thing. What kind of rat race, uh, etc. And just clarifying those metaphors, kind of clarifying all the unconscious material assumptions, strategies that are completely condensed within those metaphors. Right. People can make a change as they get more clarity. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Friday night person went straight home and explained to their partner that it was essential that they have they do this Friday night switch, otherwise the weekend was ruined and that messed up the next week. And from then on, there was a, a you know time was set aside every Friday night for them to do their Friday night switch. I think it involved being alone in a room with um, television and um, a big glass of wine. But uh, you know, if that's exactly, exactly, <laughs> and yeah. it was done. You know, this was like an hour's worth of interviewing, and I know because I happened to talk to this person several years later. They were still doing it, and it was still working really well for them. For the investment of one hour, pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, the, the what evolves as they unpack this sort of compressed information is the way that they could make changes. And since it's all coming from them, it is, of course, organic. It's much more likely to hold than if I'd said to them, oh, right, so during the week, you're busy dodging rocks that are coming down the mountain at you. Um, and well, then, I mean, the clear thing is, just climb the mountain, then you're higher up than the rocks. Well, that would work from my perspective, but it almost guaranteed isn't going to be the way forward for this person. Because it wasn't um, their metaphor. Absolutely. Not their metaphor, yeah. not their solution. And um, so rather go with what's organically right for the person. It's much more likely to hold then when they make a change. Yeah. yeah. I, I find clients are generally much more creative. I think I'm quite creative, yes. but clients are generally more creative. <laughs> with their solutions than I could possibly be. Uh, I think that's one of the great joys of clean. You're, you're kind of quite often in the unknown and then the client does something absolutely wonderful and you go, oh, wow, that's how it could be resolved. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. um, it's actually true. One practically never can kind of foresee how the thing is going to work out. Yeah. Um, Just one thing in what you said, by the way, because um, you said about picture and you said the word symbol. Um, with clean, the, the symbols are, it's like multi-sensory. Mm -hmm. So it could be there's visual components. It could be there's auditory sound components. It could be there's body sensations, you know, and we're, uh, there's a phrase we use sometimes called equal opportunity employer of information, which is that whatever's there, we kind of, we help that we kind of hold for the client and help them bring attention to it. And so that, that includes, um, you know, embodied stuff as much as 
visual stuff or auditory stuff. Actually, I just um, had a client um, email me um, a recording of a piece of music that really does it for them. And they say, you know, by the end of this piece of music, I just want to dance and dance. Um, so, you know, nothing visual in it at all. It's all sound and body movement. Yeah. And the one other thing that we... we um, we haven't said which is relevant for um, a, a frame for personas is that we mentioned a butterfly, we've mentioned a Friday night switch, rocks coming down the mountain at somebody. Um, uh, most people's metaphors consist of a kind of landscape, a number of symbols. So it's not just me and a Friday night switch. Even then, there are two symbols. There's a me and there's a Friday night switch. But um, it's more typical for there to be a number of symbols in a metaphor landscape that all interact, I suppose, much as anything that you would find in what we normally talk about as a landscape. If you've got a huge, great tree in, in an outdoor landscape, chances are there are not many sun-loving flowers growing underneath it you know, there's there will be a relationship between the sun-loving flowers and the tree, um, at least in terms of space. The flowers will choose to grow where the tree isn't, casting all its shade, um, and so on. And, um, and so, um, uh, as well as asking for more details about the nature of the symbol by asking what kind of X or anything else about X, we'd also be asking things like, and is there a relationship between sun-loving flowers and big tree? Um, so asking for um, how the different symbols relate to each other, um, because that's going to be important where you've got personas or parts is the relationships um, between them. Yeah, so so the the symbols, the the metaphors, and actually that they are often in a landscape. And maybe one little so I have kind of two more small elements to this introduction. The first one being um I think it's really important to understand that as we explore any topic more deeply, we all use metaphors and symbols. Uh, uh, what, what's the what's the word? The word is intuitively, and because they are the best way to describe things. So right. so it's it's not like we're talking to somebody and then uh, then as we talk to them, we're like, okay, let's make a metaphor here. No. Uh, but actually, so there are studies that that say we use metaphors six times a minute, and also in a coaching conversation, once we once we, or in a therapeutic conversation, once we learn to listen for it, we hear metaphors everywhere. So people will talk about getting ahead, coming out uh, above, holding their head, head above water, going under, needing. Uh, so all of these things that we, we just take as normal because we all understand them. We all know what the person is saying, but they actually all are metaphors. And as we focus on one of them, 
we often find that there's way more information in these things we just say all the time than we would know if we just kind of let them pass. So I think that's one of the important elements to understand about clean. It's kind of taking that element of language and communication really serious and saying, we're using these all the time. Let's see what happens when we focus on them rather than kind of just taking them for granted. Yeah, nicely said. Yeah. And it's an ongoing journey to um, to notice all the metaphors that are happening because so many of them kind of um, blend into the wallpaper so that we don't notice them. Um, what we discovered, um, uh, the word in, in English, gets used in more, more than 100 ways, metaphorically. So <laughs> just that word. I mean, the one that um, springs to mind always is falling in love. So when saying that love is some sort of container and you fall into it. And as soon as you start to think about that, there are implications, you know, kind of what shape is the container? How easy is it to get in or to get out? How deep is it? How Maybe how full is it of love? Um, uh, what is it made potentially? up Potentially. Indeed. Where did it come from? Um, you know, there, there are lots of um, possibly relevant um, aspects to it that one doesn't normally um, think about when one just says, I'm falling in love or I've fallen in love. Now, you're not going to get on and explore that sort of thing with every client who walks through the door. One, one needs to do some very uh, strong filtering for what seems to be most central to whatever they are there to work on um, and ask questions about those things and ideally about their outcomes rather than about problemy bits. So if you can avoid exploring the, the butterflies in the stomach entirely, well then do because I haven't yet met anyone who likes butterflies in their stomach. So if one can instead just get on and explore an outcome, that would be even better. Yeah, it's possibly worth just saying, because you said about the metaphors being uh, very natural and intuitive, because um, there's this, this thing where you go, oh, clean language, it's like whatever, nine or 12 questions, depending on the list you've looked at. How on earth can it take such a long time to learn to be very, very good at it? I think Wendy's just given you a clue with all the things that, you know, you percolate in the back of your head as a facilitator, but don't necessarily come out of your mouth. They're just informing the next question. Um, but the other thing is we, we spend a lot of time trying to work out what's universal. So we think uh, using metaphors is universal. That's the way people make sense of more abstract things in terms of more specific concrete things. So almost like reusing something, I like to think of it as, evolutionarily probably we we establish something you know we can make sense of the world and then when we had to make sense of stuff like time i was like well how about we do yeah brain kind of reuses the circuitry it's already got to go well maybe it's like a, a river <laughs> maybe it's you know it flows or maybe it's like some kind of um resource that you have more or less of and so somehow can make sense of it so we we spend a lot of time looking at universals and um just to put the persona modeling in context, we think metaphors are very are universal. Um, obviously, everyone has a body. We think the embodiment things are universal. So that's a key part of it. Um, space is universal. Everyone 
you know, has to locate where they are and where predators are or food is or make their way from one place to another. Um, so this kind of, when, when you were talking about uh, landscapes, this question about where can be very important because distances between symbols, like there's just again something going on in your brain where we think it's sort of reusing that, that spatial ability to make sense of the rest of the world or itself. And the thing with personas is we think social systems. We think your brain is wired to understand social systems. Um, and so again, it gets reused in terms of, well, uh, okay, something happening, but this is internal. You know, it's almost two forces or aspects or maybe more than two. How do I make some sense of that? Actually, if it gets formulated in terms of a social system as if there were two people, entities, whatever, that have emotions, that, that's a thing everyone can do. So we, and so what we think is people naturally do it. <laughs> so all these universals are kind of there. So what in clean we're trying to do is get, get to the nub of those universals. Um, and then you know, when a client starts to use them, we can help them make even more use of them because that's yeah. inbuilt in, in their systems. They've got that kind of ability to know and process. So we help them take advantage of it. Yeah, and we, I, oh, yeah, when do you? Yeah, so the, so basically um, I'm saying David Grove aimed to strip assumptions out of what he asked his clients. And in a way, that's where the universal thing comes in. If one's asking about things that are universal, then to all intents and purposes, one can say that's the absolutely safest assumption you can make. You know, this this um, individual in front of me is a person. Persons all seem to, you know, have a, a, sense, a sense of social systems. So I could ask questions that imply some sort of social system. Um, and that wouldn't be, um, that would be likely to land fine with the person. Because if it's what all people do, then... Um, I'm not going to be tramping on their stuff and implying things that are not true for them by doing that. So I'll just, I'll just add to that, actually. Sorry, that, that sounds like we might put it onto them. It's more like if it looks like they are using that kind oh, yeah, of okay. system. Yeah, yeah. Like if they start talking about body sensations, you might think, ah, let's, let's um, encourage a bit more body processing. Or they talk about things in a way that imply a social system is what they're yeah. using you start to ask questions that are more aligned to that and it will feel very, very natural for the client. But behind the scenes, we're going, we think this is universal. We've got ways of working with these different systems. So if the client goes there, we, we can kind of go there. And, I, and almost what we're, there's a little bit of a developmental thing because we've done lots of thinking and knowing about it. We ask questions that help the client to take advantage of that way they actually already innately have. They just might not be able to access so help them to know their body more, help them to know how to work with their internal social system better. Um, and, and it's actually developing their own skill to do that for themselves yeah. Yeah, at one level. So, so, so I, I think we're, we're quite naturally getting to a, to a transition into persona modeling. I do yeah. think, and this is not for now, but I do think in general, it would be smart to now insert like a demo of clean <laughs> shortly so that people actually have an idea of what the fuck yeah. it is because yeah. I, I think so so i think that would be smart to do at some point in time but not today because then we will have 
no time to talk about persona modeling anymore. <laughs> but I do think um, if if we in, somehow get in get a demo in there, this is a this is a very interesting introduction to to clean. But for me, the question now would be so. Okay, there is this way of working. There are these clean questions. David Grove tried to strip assumptions out of things, which is actually, I think, what quite naturally drew me to clean. This way of honoring a person's system and the system's inbuilt uh, logic rather than imposing my own. Um, and then the question would be, why personas? And why... What do we sometimes need a, a model or map for that looks at what's happening inside of us, inside of me, potentially around a challenge I'm having, as involving multiple, in my language, parts, in another language, maybe personas? How does that help? Maybe that's a good transition to, to take that step into the persona modeling. Sounds like it's for you. Uh, it does. I was just pondering where to where to start. Why do people do that? I, I think what we've noticed. So, so as a facilitator, you're you're with some type of persona modeling. Ideally, you're not starting by I'm going to do persona modeling to you as a client, as you might gather from all this introduction. We're more probably in a more standard, clean um, session, and you start to notice that someone has two or more somehow aspects of themselves or let's say symbols in their landscape so two or more symbols that somehow seem to be have some emotions or know something or act in some way so you kind of go well it's as if they were and this is where you have to make a word up you know an entity or a person or a creature but that, that there's something that like i say seems to be mapping onto this this ability we have to um, see um, multiple things that have you know, intentions and knowledge and behaviors and model it all. So at that point, you know, as a facilitator, we'd be saying, aha, yeah, this, this is matching to um, persona modeling. So I might start to ask some questions in that direction and see if it's useful. And why I think people do it is we some, it seems to be universal that you have internal tensions so i'll take the two two version like um part and part is a part of me wants to do this part of me wants to do that that's a standard bit of language if you hear that you can go maybe some persona modeling is helpful part part of me thinks it's a good idea to go to the gym and get fit but part of me would like to stay in bed this morning so somehow we 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 get a kind of internal tension between two desires or in two intentions um, and we have to make some sense of it so by I think by treating them as if they were two two different people we sort of somehow separate them then we can do something with it and that's so, what happens with persona modeling and I'm not sure with all the yeah. other parts yeah so maybe to make this a tiny bit more practical again and bring it back to the butterfly in the stomachs example so somebody's coming with a challenge where in meetings they get these butterflies in the stomachs and it kind of seems like these butterflies in the stomach they have actually more depth to them there is more to that than just these butterflies and there seems to be like this thing that happens over and over again but there is also a second element of 
something that feels more calm and more assertive maybe, but that the client is jumping back and forth between those two. And it's kind of like, we don't really get forward from this. And then it could make sense to maybe look at those two symbols and those two in the beginning butterflies and the more assertive as two personas. It would certainly be one way in which one could start separating out um, what's going on for the client. David Grove used to talk about an undifferentiated mass of information. And I think that is often how it is for a client that they, they, they can't kind of sort out um, uh, how, how a, a repeating pattern of theirs works because everything's all sort of jumbled together. And certainly personas would be one way in which um, it, um, um, it could be differentiated, made yeah. more sense of. Yeah. I, I think um, that the only thing is that example, it could be to do with, it's not necessarily personas, because it could no. be about two states you're in and things that, you know, cause you to move into one state and back to the other state. I think it's more um, it's more like there's an internal tension between several things. Or uh, you could do, I, I was thinking of an example I had from a client very recently. Um, I, I get very angry, but then there's such a shame about that anger. <laughs> so it just in that, I, and I'm making a statement up, it's more, much more complicated than this, but that was at the, mm-hmm. the number of it. Um, but actually going into that a little bit, the, so anger was an emotion, but actually when you explored it, there's a persona there. So that anger was there with, you know, a, a reason why uh, it was there for that person and a good intention for that person, much as she was very sceptical. <laughs> there was a good intention for the anger. Um, and the shame was coming actually from a different persona. And there was, so there was this relationship because actually the shame was trying to protect her by not letting that anger get out of control. So now you've got this kind of relationship with different intentions going on uh, and they're kind of somehow in conflict. And that's where things like, I think, persona modeling um, comes in really handy. Or, or the classic, you know, part of me wants to go to the gym, part of me wants to stay in bed. Um, any, anything that's got that structure, you, you start to, and it's this thing about, is there emotions, is there knowledge, is there you know, intention, is there behavior in those symbols? That's the thing that where you go, yeah, okay, these are these are behaving as personas. Therefore, we can kind of start to bring in the rest of the thinking and the process. That probably be helpful. So, so maybe in this, trying to bring it down to practical and then explore that there there are multiple symbols slash persona slash parts that, and from my from my perspective on parts work, I would. I think for me, the core is often the intention. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a behavior, but the emotion has a reason, an intent within it. The behavior has an intent that it tries to achieve or avoid something. So so for me, a lot of it comes down to that intent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's a piece with the way we do it, because I think a lot of parts work starts by assuming there's parts. So mm-hmm. we're starting by seeing if the client has a model that has parts or personas in it. So we've got this first piece that is how do you as a facilitator identify that this is 
mm-hmm. true. So that's why I'm I'm saying um, all the emotions thing. Then then you're right because you know almost the the second. Actually, we've got the, as part of this there is getting to what is everyone. I say everyone like what are all the personas interested in? What's their outcomes? What are their intentions for things? Um, but the interesting thing we found is um, spending more and more time just finding out who, like, who those personas are before you get there is really valuable. Before you ask for intentions. Yeah, before you ask get about to, intentions. Yeah, yeah, what would they like to have happen or anything like that? Just lots of questions that are, like the the where are they or you know if they're flesh them out yes in some sense it's, it's a bit because it's tricky let's say it's a person like persona you might be interested in well what, what do they not, these are not the clean questions but in your head you're going well what what are they doing do they are they wearing anything do they have any possessions do they what their skills what do they know you know anything you might ask about a person equally a persona could be a cloud but it's still in that case well where is it maybe in the sky and what kind of shape is it? Big cloud, small cloud? What, you know, does it have other qualities? Like it's a gray cloud. So kind of really um, helping your client to know more about the personas just in terms of this like location form mm-hmm. thing it is, it turns out is quite helpful, particularly if there's a lot of conflict going on. So, so from a, from a looking through my internal family system lens, uh, it's funny that you called it fleshing it out uh, because that is literally the the technical term ah. internal family system uses for it. It's finding a part and then fleshing it out. Uh, well, finding it, focusing on it, fleshing it out. And fleshing it out would be all of those questions. It would be, where is it? Uh, is there anything it wants to show you? Um, what kind of shape, size? behavior, et cetera, does it have in IFS, there would be a lot of emphasis on the role it has. And then, uh, and this would be another question for potentially later in the call, building the relationship between self and part. And then from that going into, and what is this part afraid of? That would be kind of the typical way that the IFS model would look at intention is to say, if it's a protector, it's usually afraid of something and only secondarily trying to achieve something. So the afraid would often be the the first pair of glasses to put on. But yeah, it would be exactly those steps. So, fig- yeah. so connecting to it, fleshing it out, and then um, seeing what are the what is the intention. But maybe taking it one step backwards. Because I, I really think that's a that's a fascinating question to have is um, so in internal family system there is an assumption that there are parts. There is actually a, a model of the psyche that would say we all have multiple parts, yeah. and especially around problems that we have in our life, yeah. there are usually specific parts that are in, involved in those problems and creating those behaviors. So that's the working hypothesis. Yeah. We we don't know how those parts look we don't know what strategies they use we don't know why they are doing it but we have that assumption that there is a part involved and and if we can connect with that part and flesh it out and work with it and potentially work with whatever is behind this part we can create change that would kind of be the the very broken down 
internal yeah. family system model that we bring to the table. Yeah. And I would be fascinated to, to ask, what's the persona modeling clean model that, that you bring to the table? It's almost the step before that, because I think we, we think it's a universal, so we'd agree, which is effectively what IFS is saying from what you've just said, that everyone has this capability. I think the question we've got is, is it the right capability to solve the problem the client's brought? So is, is that the one they're using? So we're starting more from a, well, actually maybe solving, maybe addressing this through um, working more with the body might be the way to do it. Maybe working more through uh, actually using space, moving around in the room might be the way to do it. Maybe um, using symbols that actually don't look particularly like personas is the way to do it. We don't know, but they're all universal things. So if we start exploring, uh, and there's two ways to go about this. The first one is you go with the client. So if the client is tending to go to, you know, starts talking about things, starts using parts language, we're off persona modeling. But if, if they don't, and there's no parts around, we don't assume it. We maybe just work with their symbols or if it's all body sensations, maybe we start doing more embodied stuff with them. We, we go where they're going because it seems to be their natural thing and we're going to assume they're strong in it, therefore. And so therefore, more likely to make some progress. A bit later on, we might, um, mismatch it a little like if you're a few sessions in and they're still stuck and go well actually maybe the, the way they're tending to do things they've, they've obviously tried this a lot and it's still not working maybe if they saw it through one of the different lenses that'd be helpful so at which point you might do a bit more introducing um, something more spatial or deliberately leading them that way uh, and you can do that very cleanly it can still be from them but you're it's a bit more like in a dance. You're kind of just nudging it cleanly. And if they go that way, you carry on. So, again, so when for, you say introduce something more spatial, that was just an example. Introduce something more spatial or yeah. put some attention on, on a symbol that you suspect might be um, uh, have an intention with a view to possibly working with personas or um, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So at this point, we're kind of almost um, fleshing out the person's ability to use all of these different uh, ways of knowing about themselves and and creating their own change. Uh, so I think that's the difference. Now, what I will say, we've got we, we created a simple version of the persona modeling process so people could get started, and that does assume there's parts. And <laughs> we sort of say, look, you've got to do this non-clean bit, assume there's some parts just so you can get into the process. Because what we're talking about is quite sophisticated. You need quite a bit of clean to be able to just go with what is and almost branch into the right thing to do. Um, so, I, yeah, I, it's not like I've got massive issues with um, assuming there's some parts and getting on with it. Um, but I think that just having that ability to go, well, how much am I bringing this and imposing it on a client versus because if they sought you out as an IFS practitioner and they know what it is, they probably think parts is a good idea, for mm -hmm. example. Yeah, good yeah. point. Okay, so it's, it's not like it's a big deal, but it, it's really just having that question and realizing that there's other ways of doing things. So is this fitting it, it, the client's and, model of the world well? I think I think this this point and question we're at right now is super fascinating because this is such an such a profound question of how much to bring from my side and actually 
uh, how much is me bringing something in helpful? Because in my experience, I have many, many, many clients for whom actually kind of learning the internal family system model of the, of the psyche is so helpful because they were so lost within themselves. And, but as soon as they learn how to use that model, they suddenly have way more tools, how to deal yeah. with, with what's exactly. going on. And it's really helpful for them to get that top down. This is the way it is. And these are the ways you can work with it. And then they can use that in their life. Yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. But at the same time, what I heard from you, and I want to check if I understood that correctly, because that's, that's a very, very, I think, profound question to ask is, so we're working with somebody, we're working on their challenge, butterflies in the stomach or their outcome. And as we explore that, the question that I heard you ask was, which of the universals could be helpful here? Which when I hear that, I translate that into what kind of way of exploring this could help the person take a step forward or, or take a step with this thing. And if I understand that correctly, it could be maybe for one person, they have these butterflies in the stomach and it would be helpful to relate to this mostly spatially. So butterflies in the stomach, where are they? And then kind of helping them to step into another space. What do, what do you know from there or what happens yeah. then? can really help them shift something. And we don't even have to go into what do the butterflies want, et cetera, but we can just through having that spatial change, do something with somebody else. It could be more of a time thing of what happens before that, what happens after that. And as we explore that, something in the order of events can shift, but maybe with, with some challenges or some clients, actually the most helpful perspective to take is this thing wants something. The butterflies in the stomach seem to have an intention. What do they want? What are they scared of? And are there other symbols they might be in conflict with? And what do they want? What, what are they scared of? And how can we negotiate between those? Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, and it's to, um, well, point out, we don't go after the, what are you scared of? No. I imagine that's, that, that's, the, that's just the that's IFS IFS. question. Yes. But yes, we can come back to that. But I think it's, that, it's the developmental thing you said. So, I mean, I think we, we realized in terms of what we're doing as coaches or therapists or whatever, there's actually two levels. One is help the client create the change they want. So whatever the outcome, I, and we're very outcome focused. So what is it they'd like to have happen and can we help them to get there? Um, but in order to do it, uh, and we, it's actually quite recently we started making this really explicit. There's almost a developmental model. So partly, if the client had all the skills, they'd just do it themselves. But if they come to you and you, let's say just straight, you ask clean questions. One of the basic things is it helps them keep their attention on something for longer than they normally would. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just underpinning all of this. Actually, once you do that for a while, they naturally learn to keep their attention on things longer than they normally would and hold their attention better. So there's actually a developmental thing that you've done subtly. It wasn't, you know, you didn't put it on your flyer and, you know, assess them, but it's just happening. And I think then it's the same with these, uh, like you say, if you start working with personas, they kind of, I probably wouldn't explain it, but once they've worked with personas a few times, you've run through the kind of things we do, they're kind of, their system gets it. They start coming up with more personas all on their own and they'll start looking at intentions and 
values and all kinds of things. Similarly, if you start um, say that the one with butterflies in the stomach, you said like the example where there was two states, like sometimes I'm feeling nervous, sometimes I'm feeling great. Maybe we put them in two client finds two places in the room, one with the nervous state, one with the good state, and they go and visit those places. They start to learn, oh, I can put things in space. I can move to them. Something happens to my body and my state when I do that. I didn't know that could happen. Wow. And once they do, they get the hang of it again, developmentally, they get into this kind of process. They start to use it for themselves. And you never set out to like teach them a process per se, but they're starting to learn to use this innate ability they have already. So then back to the, this core question you were asking, it's almost, well, I could spend the session and they get a load of value because I start to learn a, you know, an IFS or a persona modeling thing. But it could be that we use the session, they start to get to know their body more and that's really valuable. Or they start to realize they could work with symbols and that shifts things for them. Or they could start to move in space. There's which of the developmental, <laughs> you know, it's partly developmental, partly the thing that's most likely to help with the change. Wh which one should we go down? either because it it seems to match what they're good at already so we kind of deepen it or because what they're doing already isn't working so maybe we need something a bit different so they, they need a new model well no, i mean not new they've got it intrinsically but a new you know, access to something they can do but they're just not using yet um it's, i don't think there's easy answers but framing it like this um and it kind of makes, talk about. <laughs> yeah, and it makes explicit the two elements of, of being a coach or therapist, which is helping people so solve challenges and helping people grow their capacity to yeah. solve their own challenges. Exactly. Yeah. Stop them from becoming dependent on, on yeah. the coach and therapist. Yeah. Definitely. So, so I think, um, in fact, I would say, Paul, that sometimes when, when, could set about actively teaching them some yeah. stuff, a sort of psychoeducation element um, in terms of, um, you know, the way that Lucas was saying, look, you know, this is how the psyche is and, and you know, here's how you can work with it. I think there are times when just doing that um, uh, can be helpful for a client. That definitely isn't... Um, uh, what you would expect a completely clean person to be doing. So I'll no. just add that quickly. And there are times when it's valuable to um, do things that are not um, entirely clean, and that's for, for each um, facilitator to decide for themselves. But certainly kind of using yeah. oneself for occasional, occasional valuable story or um uh, explaining a, a model or something um, yeah, for, for uh, me yeah. for me or, can work yeah for me around that it's the uh, the biggest distinction that helps me with that is the distinction between bottom up and top down yeah that that clean is so bottom up yeah. but at the same time i think there are places where it's much more helpful for some clients to sometimes have clear top-down and that can yep. be knowledge that can be orientation it can also yep. be as we get more into the somatic like a very concrete regulation tool let's do this exercise together how do you feel after the exercise um so those kind of things where top-down can be super helpful but then 
we need to switch back to bottom up to see what happens in the system then. Like it isn't helpful to just stay in one lane always. In effect, yeah. what one wants is top-down things that have been very cleanly modeled. Yes. You know, so that they are kind of um, uh, pretty much universal, universally useful kinds of things in the first place. Um, so and and to do as little of that as possible, um, uh, as little as possible to meet whatever the facilitator's outcome is at that point before you go back to the bottom up. Yeah, that and to, to be a good way. Yeah, and and to just echo what Wendy said, I, I was deliberately going down a very clean route. But again, it's another facilitator choice because you're not. I mean, we're saying a lot of it comes from the client, but you're you're doing this dance almost with. With your client so one thing is okay well i i know we could do personas or space or metaphors or whatever so i'm kind of going to have to make a judgment about where i'm going to invite attention to see where it goes and you've got a similar choice about well do we just go there if if someone's just going with with um in a particular direction it's all working you probably don't want to come out of it and start explaining it to them but equally particularly if it's something they haven't done before you might need to step out and say, would you be interested in an approach that's a bit like this and give them a bit of, um, uh, so I get, I've got a concrete example. I had a client who she was really, really in her head, super in her head. And we tried a few things that kind of matched her way of doing things and it wasn't going anywhere. And I tried the where question from clean just to see if she'd locate something in her body. It wasn't happening. <laughs> She just looked at me like I was mad for asking the question. So at that point, I, I deliberately kind of stepped out of classic just asking clean questions and said, well, it might be really interesting to try something where we're locating things in your body. And so the kind of thing that might happen is this, this, and this. And Because what, what she needed to know, she needed to know there's a bit of a process to it and a bit of an expectation. And then she could let herself give it a try. So, so then, of course, it was incredibly useful and we gave it a go and then, you know, useful, interesting things like to happen. Um, so you're completely right. And again, but again, it's coming back to you've got a choice as a facilitator. It's not like in every session you should explain this, you know, whatever mm -hmm. this is. Yeah. It's like when is a piece of psychoeducation or expectation setting going to be useful and helpful to the client? And when should we just you know, go with it and they'll learn it by doing? And again, no easy answers, but if you've got the questions, and you know it's a choice as a facilitator, you're in a better place. It's a lot of what this is about, isn't it, is um, noticing that one has choices and deciding what one's going to do in a sort of thoughtful way. Um, and I think we would say that um, <clears throat> having a kind of clean attitude about it is a good starting point so that one is aiming to limit um, the amount that one puts in of one that's coming mm -hmm. from oneself. And, that, and also, I think for me it, right now, it brings me back to an element of our last conversation, which was the cleaners about questions and tools, but it's also about a mindset. Yeah. And, it's, and I think it's about understanding the, the, the difference between what's, developing out of the client's system and what am I putting into the system or offering the system and what's the difference between those two 
and how how to even notice that those are different because i think it's so easy um that if i haven't trained myself quite thoroughly for those distinctions that it's so easy to miss where i'm pushing where i'm framing where i'm doing all of those things and it it takes time to really kind of uh yeah, train myself to not do that. Agreed. Absolutely. And, and, and I think not just time, it takes um, motivation. Yes. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think you, yeah, you need to have some, I think something in you that says this, re this idea resonates, this idea of being out of the client stuff resonates mm -hmm. because then it, it, that is what Wendy says, it's the motivation. I think the, the beauty of it is the more you stay out, the more you can see. Because you can just yeah. see, you can see what's the client stuff. You know, your stuff's not in there. Um, and actually, so you get these more, as you kind of get more into it, like we have, it's like things get more and more subtle and nuanced. But you can see all these things. And like sometimes it'll be just, there's this little thing you catch and you go, it's there. But because you've put so, like, it's not, as I say, you do put things, you're kind of lead, you are leading and you do put a few things in. It's not that that's the thing you are aware, of, but you can catch these super subtle things and go, that's probably super interesting and they don't know anything about it. Let's put the attention there. If you can grab it, the more you're like, it's messy and your stuff's in there and you can't, you're not clear on it, you, you're never going to catch that. Um, and that's where, again, it looks like a really boring questions come out of your mouth. Yeah, there was. <laughs> Yeah, you know, umpteen years of training to notice that that was the little thing that is probably really important to the client that they haven't noticed. And the client doesn't say, "Well, that was a boring question." That's not their thoughts. No, 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 no. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it just looks like, oh yeah, what kind of butterfly? And you say, um, but it, it's why asking about I don't know the wing on the butterfly was anyway. <laughs> As an advocate for, um, yeah, spend some time. I think I think um, your thing, Lucas, about um, uh, even thinking to ask the question of what am I putting in, or what am I offering the system? Um, I think that distinction is already is a, a very valuable one to get. And it seems to me, um, so I'm absolutely not an expert in internal family systems, but um, the thing about um, what is um, a particular part afraid of, mm -hmm. there's a difference between, uh, there's already a cleaning up if one says, and is that part afraid of anything? rather than, and what is that part afraid of? Mm -hmm. You know, that already um, makes a bit less of an assumption. Yeah, I mean, that, that is, I, I think these are, these are really fascinating questions about the, about also the, the like the model itself and the, the, the way it works. So, 
I think there are also very different ways that 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 you can lead people in internal family system. There are there are some people I know who are working way more directive than me. For instance, uh, they will they will be much more uh, clear. Like, okay, this is where we're going, and and they are respectful to the system. So that's one of the things I've yet to meet somebody who's really trained in IFS who isn't respectful to the system in the sense of if it becomes clear that the system doesn't want to go anywhere, that you accept that and that you accept changes in the, in the, in the structure and all of that, but there can be much more direction and you can also, and this is much more what I'm kind of leaning towards. You can be way less directional and instructive where, where you use the distinctions, but you give the freedom over to, to, to the, to the, to the client. So one difference in in for me how it how it turns into like language would be uh, rather than explaining to people oh this is a part we can ask people and is it okay to call that a part which would be the question I always use is it okay to call it that and people can say no and then it's not okay to call it that and also we're just calling it a part we're we're not saying it is a part we're calling it a part and we might find out later that it isn't a part which is which is again that openness that's really important to me and as we as we get to know it i i do i have been using the part the question of what is this what would this part like to have happen but which is I, the clean language which way which, which is which is the outcome. which is the clean language question yeah. but i also think that especially as we're and this this i for me this might be one of the bigger distinctions between between the persona modeling and the internal family system perspective is the question of, and what, what is the part afraid could happen? It points to something and it points to this, this distinction in, in IFS between the protective system and the exile and what, what is held behind there. Yeah. And, the, and the, the assumption in the internal family system would be that behind most, if not all protectors, there is a deeper pain. And if we can help that deeper pain, actually the whole protective system can reorganize itself in a much easier and yeah. much more natural way. So there is that point where, where we take the, where we kind of want to invite the, the system, is there something behind this? And that's what that question is there for. And, but it is an assumption. It is part of the model. And at the same time, it can happen that somebody says, Meh, I don't know, totally okay. Uh, I don't want to go there right now, totally okay. All of those things are very welcome. But that's the intention of that question is that taking that deeper step. And I have to say, um, you know, and I don't know that it's, whether it's universal, but it's it's it very frequently plays out along those lines. I would absolutely agree. Um, so then, the, then it is a question of um, uh, at at any rate, as a facilitator, one can be um, thinking. I wonder if there is a pain that's deeper that's behind 
um, what we're hearing at the moment and so on. So um, even if one doesn't, you know, full undo that, right, so now in the process, we're at this point where we, um, you know, um, find out what the pain is that they haven't said anything about, but we're assuming is there. Even if one's not doing anything that directive, um, I think um, probably anyone who who works with parts or personas is uh, is going to be aware that um, there very often is um, something going on kind of behind the scenes, um, and that that's going to um, become evident sooner or later um, if if the, the process is feels safe enough for the mm. yeah yeah I, I mean I think with persona modeling coming uh, I mean, we haven't actually said much about what it is because there's quite a lot of steps to it um, I think a model like that that you said in IFS to, so that there's your let's assume you didn't know that model so within persona modeling, we'd be listening for those kind of words, like emotion words. So if a part, uh, persona says it's afraid, you put some attention on the afraid and afraid of what. And so there'll be another persona involved. And then you may be going to all, um, ask some questions about that other persona and what its intentions are, and what its behaviors are, and what the intentions and behaviors of the first one are. So you, the, the model you're talking about you almost let the client tell you that's the model. But I think if you know it, so if, so if you've learned an IF, something like an IFS thing, because we, we've got it in other things we know as well, I think it's like holding a model lightly. So you go, uh, okay, yeah, this is someone, someone's thought about this. You know, um, so it's in IFS, it's been thought about, obviously does apply a lot. Maybe it's universal, but maybe it's just very common. We don't really know, but I'll hold it. If I hear some things about parts being afraid, I can think, oh, it's it's like this model. So yeah, then then I kind of I know the route. What I'm doing is almost letting the client tell me that's true, and then using the model to kind of guide a few more questions. And that'll help help you know, go the place that model helps you go. But you're doing it very much from letting the client show you that model is valid valid for them, just in case it's not, because I have seen quite a few times when something people love and actually might even be true 99% of the time just isn't for some people and that that's the thing so again these are all really really useful um but where we've gone with persona modeling and because it's it's intrinsic to clean is more, is more about um yeah maybe there's a foot it's a three-part model isn't it ifs like exile protector and so, so yeah depending on which detail but basically the, oh, okay. the very the very simple model is we have a self there are protectors there are exiles there are a few different kinds of protectors actually like two main protectors being more managers saying That's those are the parts enough. that those are the parts that organize your life you can you can think of them as they are uh they are uh, it's what's the what's the opposite of reactive is proactive right. they yeah. are proactive so they they try to keep you together and there are firefighters which are reactive which is whenever something happens that they don't want to happen whenever you feel something they don't want you to feel the firefighters will do whatever to stop that and that's basically yeah. the whole model and within that it's then there can be a gazillion different firefighter strategies. There can be a gazillion different ma manager strategies. So we don't 
pretend like we know how this part works or what it is afraid of, or, or if there is a, even a, an exile behind it, even though it is very often the case. I've also seen places where that didn't seem to be the case, but um, we have the kind of those functions. And I, that's actually what I like about the IFS model. It's more like there, is a, there, is, there aren't these specific categories, the, the good self and the bad self. It's just, there are these functions in our psyche yeah. That, that are, these are more protective, these are more hurt, these are more reactive, these are more proactive, but these functions can be fulfilled in a myriad of ways. And because we don't have a clue which ones they are, we have to find that one out. Yeah. So that, I mean, I think what, what we've done with persona modeling, it, it's, we've got various strategies, you know, th things to be asking yourself as a facilitator, does, does the client know about this and questions to ask? To get at this kind of thing so a model like that it, that is a perfect one to have one of those in the back of your mind as a facilitator as a persona model of persona modeling Fuzz facilitator <laughs> you, could use, you could absolutely have that ifs model uh, as we yeah we have yeah there's lots of other nice um you know like the drama triangle is a classic one in normal mm -hmm. facilitation so you have it in the back of your mind but you're not going to use the words victim persecutor rescuer or something with your client unless you've decided it's really, really helpful, they know that model and you do your psychoeducation piece. But on the whole, you know, we'll use it to be guiding questions. Um, and, and I think my point on asking for the number is, you know, we're, we're almost letting the system tell us what kind of roles and behaviours and relationships, and which it sounds like actually IFS does too. Absolutely, because... You don't know the behavior. You don't yeah. know the fear. All of those things are, you don't know. You just kind of have these functions. That's yeah. what you what you orient towards. Yeah. I think I've got some interesting things. We have a thing um, might be interesting about, because it's very symbolic. There's actually a thing about safety because there is a, what's happening between these personas at the point you start to uncover them. So we've had, situations where you know you've got i think this is one of our made-up training examples but you know you've got the frog and then you've got the chef that wants to make some frog's legs and you know you're at that moment in time where the the knife is just above the frog and so actually the whole system is in this highly fraught you know um uh state as there's actually pieces to do with um can you do things like move move time? Because in a sense, that's a, if you think of it like a narrative, you can use clean language questions to move back time to a point where it's not such a fraught situation between the two personas and then start to do the understanding. Um, so we've got quite a lot of Getting strategies. understanding of each of the personas. Yeah, of the frog and the and chef and what they really want. each other, yeah. Because trying to do some nice understanding pieces while there's a knife waving around, not, not so clever which, so, which so the the ifs way of doing that for instance would be uh, rather than moving time which hmm. it, that's not so much something that ifs would think about but um you would negotiate with the parts actually like you would ask the part to step aside a little bit can it give some space also as soon as and this would be another yeah. very interesting question um as soon as there's self connecting to the parts often these 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 places are not as stuck anymore and we have much more leeway so um 
Yeah, that yes. that would be yeah. kind of the IFS way of working with that usually. Yeah, because we we've noticed, I suppose if you are going to give a name, we've noticed negotiator, observer, personas. So <laughs> what that these are the just casual names we've given to the I think Wendy might have said this last time. Um the personas that if you're not paying attention, you don't won't notice there. But if you mm. catch them, I think they're getting towards, as I understand what self is in IFS. Yeah. Um but we've we've got some specific questions to try and uh, make them encourage them to make themselves known, because I, I think Wendy told us a story last time. Um, sometimes there's a persona that's almost just somehow standing on the side watching it all. Oh, isn't this all very nice? And it happens to be an incredibly resourceful persona that's just somehow not engaged. Um, and, and again, some discovery and some particular questions we've got can help to get those involved. And then I think it's like probably like you're saying with the self then those situations can um shift but what we're trying to do is is do it without you know because if as soon as you ask well could you step aside you're suggesting a solution to the system as opposed yeah, you, to the system finding a solution you're you're yeah you are in one way and in my experience the system finds its own ways of doing that so it's yeah. stepping aside can look um, very different depending on like can can the part give some space so again this would be a very clearly a top-down input yeah and then you can see what happens then so in um another thing that clean sometimes um or a, a way in which one can be cleanish if there isn't a straight clean question is to give several different metaphors um so that you're not imposing for you giving a kind of look at something along these lines that I mean. So I guess it would be possible then in IFS to say, um, could that part step aside, step back, give some more space? Um, um, Relax a little uh, bit. Yeah. You know, one could, one could do um, a bunch of different things. So um, say a bunch of different ways of making it clear that one's hoping to hear more exclusively from um, another part at that point. Um, um, but, but taking out the, um, the assumption of step aside. Mm -hmm. uh, David Grove's question, if one um, said, uh, yeah, that, that part must step aside, would probably be, and is that a step aside to the left or a step aside to the right? again to get it you know embodied and real and located in space um and but um in this case where the step aside is um coming from the facilitator um one could um could could make it that bit more clear to the client that um there are um, many different ways this could happen and they could pick whichever one they liked that would have yeah. the effect of um, less interference, right? For the just for the moment, please, kind of and, thing. And actually, there is also so just one thought in the back of my mind is I think this is such a nerdy conversation that probably very few people will be able to follow, but I, oh, I no. absolutely enjoy it. <laughs> we were trying to keep it more practical this time. <laughs> But I, I actually imagine people who have a little bit, who have an IFS background and a little bit of clean experience, they can probably follow, but it, like, it takes a lot of prerequisite to be able to, to follow this. But it's, it's, it's a wonderful conversation to me. That was just one thought that jumped into my head. Um, 
I, I really like the perspective on giving those different options. I often yeah. give it, give those options, I mean, but not always at the same time. So, so that could really make it easier even. And can you ask, because in, in IFS, you always ask the part and could you ask the part if it is willing to step aside or give a little bit of space or also, or relax, whatever fits for it. And then you often also add a tiny bit of like, parts education, which I find is a super interesting element of IFS that you don't always give psychoeducation, but you kind of educate individual parts. So ask the part to step aside, not so that it has to go away, but you, so you can get to know it a little better. Okay. And those small things make such a difference whether, whether the system is open to it or not. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I think there's a big thing about what's your intention as a facilitator yes. that yes. needs to, because there are things to do with, I think, framing even before the session begins that help yeah. help with this. And some of the things we're talking about. Um, yeah. So, yes, I think so, that's... So one question I have, uh, or two questions I have. Number one, practically, how much time do we have left for today? Um, probably a minute or two at most. I, I in theory should be going and talking to. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> so, so that that's not good then. So maybe we find an end here. One of the one of the questions, if we have another conversation, I would love to ask is, uh, what's the clean perspective on self? Because actually, I find that in IFS, the self is such a huge game changer, also for me as a facilitator. And um, there are some very interesting ways to consciously invite the self and to check where the self is present. And those questions I find really helpful, but they introduce something that clean doesn't really introduce that much, which is the you, um, uh -huh. which, which I would love to know about that dynamic. Like, because I think that's a universal too, is the, is the who is exploring right now. Um, but yeah, how is that being handled? That yeah. would be a question then maybe for next time. Excellent. Birdie <laughs> land, here we, we come. We've managed to set up a next time and, and a demo. <laughs> I, I, I think <laughs> that, that could be I super think a interesting. A, a demo would be a really great idea. I think yes. it's a, um, and, and we could maybe yeah, even we... just start with a demo and then take time. Uh, so I, I very happily offer myself for a demo. And then we can, for, from my perspective, we could... Uh, do a demo, uh, have a short break and talk about it and potentially continue the demo so we can actually get practical and see about this, what's going on here. Ah, that's interesting. That, so mm. kind of having that level. And then potentially even having the, what could be an IFS question here, what could be a more uh, oh, yeah. persona modeling so so that those differences get clear because I think there are some very fundamental differences, but I actually imagine the the place it's coming from is not that different. It doesn't sound like it, no. Yeah. yeah. I think when we read the, because we, we'd done persona modeling, we read the IFS book kind of late on in its development, and it came across as a, a not not especially unclear. Yeah, there's models and things in it, so it's, it's how it's applied, um, but it seemed to be coming from a good place yeah. about not trying to in, you know, impose things and letting the system tell you what the I think system wants to tell I, you. So, yeah. I think it is what Wendy said. It's, I think it's modeled very cleanly. Yeah. 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 
Okay, so I thank you very much to the both of you, and uh, I'm very happy that we're going to have another conversation. <laughs> These are just fun. <laughs> we're not completely taken over your podcast, but we love having a conversation. Yeah. No, and and these these are these are for me at least they're very fun and they're very informative because it's such a such an interesting like place where where things come together that I find yeah very very enlivening to be able to talk about that me too yeah thank you thank you very much I'm going to end the conversation